If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table in the foyer, and there's actually some blue ones there. I think Matt's got a stack. If, if you need one, just raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep one of those blue ones. Feel free, um, or just put it back on the table. We're going to be in the book of Luke this morning. Back in the book of Luke, we've been studying through this book of the Bible, and we're in Luke chapter 9. So if you get to the New Testament, you'll see Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And we're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to focus in specifically on Luke 9, verse 23 through 27. But I want to read the passage right off the bat here. Sometimes I talk for a little bit and then read the passage, but I want to read it right away. Um, Luke chapter 9. And I want to start in verse 18, just to give us some context. We've already looked at verses 18 through um, 23, but it's been a few weeks, so let's just familiarize ourselves with those verses and then focus in on 23 through 27. Luke chapter 9, and I'll begin begin reading in verse 18. It says, Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who did the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We saw a few weeks ago, we focused in, you remember, on verses 18 through um, 22. We saw that uh, Jesus asked the disciples who everyone says he was. And they give the different options about who people were saying Jesus was. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the right answer. Peter says, you are the Christ. You, you are the Messiah. Uh, we said about this passage, we said, Jesus is the Savior that some are able to see and that no one ever expected. Many in his day rejected Jesus, and many in our day continue to reject Jesus as the Savior of the world. They don't don't see him for who he really is. And for those of us who do see him for who he is, we don't see him as as a political leader or as some sort of earthly king here, but... That's what many people expected him to be, especially the disciples. They expected him to come and to uh, set up his earthly reign on earth, to to relieve them from the the rulership of the of the Romans and to restore the glory of Israel here on earth, to even possibly place them on on thrones. But in Je- instead, Jesus tells them what what they never expected. He says that the Messiah, the the Anointed One, the one you've all been waiting for, in fact. The, the results of his ministry are going to be that he will suffer, he will face rejection, he will face death, and then he will rise from the dead. 
And he says he has to go down this path. He has to do it. Why? Because it's the only way that he could provide redemption and forgiveness of sins. And this totally changes the way that the disciples were thinking about the Messiah. They had expected him to come as this earthly ruler, and he says and said, no, actually, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to face rejection, I'm going to be killed, and then I will rise again. And if that wasn't hard enough and astonishing enough, as he describes this path that he's going to go along, he says, and you guys are coming with me. It's hard enough to change that, but he, he says not only is, is Jesus' road paved with tears, but he's now calling his disciples to come with him down the road of suffering. Maybe you've had that experience where someone's invited you to join them in some crazy adventure, only to respond, if you want to do that, that's fine, but not me. <laughs> Matt went skydiving. If you want to do that, Matt, that's fine, but... Not me. <laughs> Maybe you eat some sort of special food, and I say, if you would like to eat that, that's fine, but I don't want to taste it. Or, or maybe someone says, I'm going to go for a swim in the Ohio River tomorrow. I say, if you would like to do that, that is totally fine. But Jesus doesn't give his followers the option of saying, that's great for you, Jesus. If you'd like to go down this path of suffering and pain and rejection and death, that's great, but I would like to choose a different path. That's not possible if we want to follow Jesus, right? Because if we go down a different path, then we're not following him. If I ask my kids to follow me on a trail through the woods and I take a right and they take a left, they're not following me anymore. And so if we want to follow Jesus, if we desire to follow him, we have to join him on the path that's laid out in front of him because a disciple, by definition, is a follower. And to follow Jesus is to embrace suffering and death just as he did. Of course, nobody willingly signs up for that, right? Just as you're not going to sign up to jump in the Ohio River with me tomorrow. No one wants to sign up for a life that's full of loss and rejection and pain and death. I mean, we all have certain desires, don't we? We all have certain aspirations for our lives, things that, that we want. We want joy, not sorrow. We want life. We don't want death. We, we want acceptance, not rejection. We want fulfillment, not self-denial and yet this is what jesus is calling us to but but what if what if this what if all of these desires that we have are actually fulfilled in following jesus down this hard path what if death actually brings life what if rejection brings acceptance what if self-denial makes us completely satisfied what if true joy is found in following jesus Brothers and sisters, this is what I think the message that God has for us this morning is that he's saying in these words is this. To follow Jesus, to follow Jesus is to find the fulfillment of our greatest desires in the last places we would ever expect. (laughs) To follow Jesus is to find the fulfillment of our greatest desires in the last places we would ever expect. Our family's dentist office is located in the bottom of a 10-story office building over here at 264 Newburgh Road. It's the one with the big sign that says Cliffs Louisville, I think, if you know where that's at. And in the basement, there, we're on the first floor there. And next door to our dentist office is a restaurant called Lee's Korean Restaurant. And Andrew and I always wonder if Lee's is any good. Has anyone ever been to Lee's? Okay, I always look at that and I think, is this a good restaurant? Um, well, this week, that restaurant showed up in a list of, of restaurants in Louisville that you should visit in 2014. So you should go to Lee's 
Korean restaurant. I, I would never expect to, first of all, find a restaurant in a location like that. And secondly, that it would be a really good restaurant. Of course, some people would never expect to find a church on the second floor of an office building, right? But sometimes you find great things in the places that you would least expect, right? And, and so as, as we seek to find satisfaction for the deepest longings of our heart, we have certain places that we as sinful human beings go to find satisfaction. But Jesus comes to us in this passage and he shows us that to follow him is actually to find the fulfillment of our deepest longings of our greatest desires in places that we would never have ever expected on our own. But let's look at this. In verse 23, he says, it says, and he said to all. Verse 23 signals that the words of Christ here are no longer specifically aimed just at the 12, but that they're aimed at, at all people, all who would, who would hear. The invitation is open to all, regardless of, of age or race or ethnicity or gender, this is open to everyone, regardless of your level of education or the size of your bank account, regardless of who your parents were or are or where you're from or where you might be going. The call of Christ is a universal call. He says it to everyone. So everyone here, this is open to you. This is the call of Jesus. And he says to all people, if you would come after me, if anyone would come after me, if you desire to follow Jesus, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a little Christ, so is that you? What do you think? Do you, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to walk in his footsteps? The invitation is open to all, but do you want to go? I think if we believe like Peter did, that he's the Savior of the world, then, then we'll want to go. But it's going to be smart to, to see what entails following Jesus. He says elsewhere that we should count the cost before we kind of take the plunge into following him. So what's it going to look like to follow Jesus? What's the path of following Jesus look like? Jesus is very clear. There are no hidden fees with Jesus. There's no fine print. You don't get it for 1995 and then pay an arm and a leg for shipping and handling. You know, Jesus is very transparent about what it takes to follow him. If we desire to follow him, then he says we have to do three things. Verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Let me tell you how I see the flow of this passage. I think Jesus gives these three things. If you want to be a disciple, here's what you need to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Now, again, we said these are the conditions for discipleship. And then I think he gives three motivations for why we would willingly do that. Why would anyone do that, Jesus? He tells us, why? And it's marked out in the passage by, by a little word, F-O-R, for. So you see that in verse the beginning of verse 24, for. The beginning of verse 25, for. And the beginning of verse 26, for. I think these are the three motivations for why in the world anyone would ever do this. And I, I think that they link, so, so we're going to link them like this. Denying ourselves links with verse 25. Taking up our cross daily links with verse 24. And following him links with verse 26. It may seem a little strange, but hopefully it, it makes sense as as we go along. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to find the fulfillment of our greatest desires in the last places we would ever expect. And the first thing that we find is this. Self-denial secures and satisfies our souls. That may sound strange, but I think that's what Jesus is saying. Self-denial, to deny ourselves, actually secures and satisfies our souls. So to follow Jesus, the first thing we're called to do is to deny ourselves. 
What makes that difficult is that self-denial goes against everything that's in my, my human heart. I want gain. I want satisfaction. I want to be fulfilled. I want to be happy. Don't you want to be happy? I mean, everybody wants to be happy. And so we go through life and we're looking for satisfaction. We're filled with this desire. Sometimes it, it expresses itself in a desire for things. And so we want certain things. And that's why materialism crops up in us. And so materialism fills our world because we always want more. Because that's what's going to bring satisfaction. We live in an overly sexualized culture. So sexual promiscuity and pornography fill our eyes and our streets and our, and our homes and and it's because there's this desire to be satisfied, and we think that those things are going to satisfy us. But it's an empty, empty well, and it never satisfies. When people eat and they drink to excess drugs and alcohol, we, we always want more, and we're never satisfied. We want to be satisfied. We're like Solomon. Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in that, he, in a sense, experiments. He says, I'm going to let myself have every pleasure possible in the world, seeking satisfaction. And he gets to the end, and what does he say about it? Vanity. All is vanity. It's a vapor. It's emptiness. These things that are supposed to satisfy me, that are supposed to make me happy, they're nothing. They don't mean anything to me. It's just a waste. So I would ever follow, follow Jesus down this path of, of self-denial. I think Jesus has a Solomon-like statement in verse 25. He says, For what does it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? But what, what good is it, he says, what good is it if you gain everything, I mean everything that the world has to offer, all the money, all the pleasure, all the stuff of this world. But in the process of doing that, you lose yourself. You lose your very soul. Is that worth it? Is, is it worth it to have everything in this life, only to have pain and heartache and suffering and death for all eternity? Is that, is that worth it? Is it worth it to waste your life on things that, that bring temporary satisfaction, but will earn you nothing but punishment in the end? Is, is that worth it? I think we would all say, no, it's not worth it. And in the midst of our search for satisfaction, Jesus says that self-denial will actually satisfy us more than giving us, than, than taking everything that we think will satisfy us. It's, it's the paradox of following Jesus, that denying ourselves, in denying ourselves, we will find true satisfaction. That, that in forsaking the pleasures of the world, that the, the things that the world says will satisfy us, if we forsake those things, we will actually find everlasting satisfaction and joy in life. Following Jesus looks hard, but it actually brings fulfillment. He says this in, in Mark 10, 29-30. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one, how many people? Zero. No one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. We're not even talking about stuff. We're talking about family here. For my sake, we've left all these things for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold, a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, we can talk about that some other time, and in the age to come, eternal life. So if we leave everything for Jesus, you get it all. You get it all now and you get it all then. David Livingston was a man who, who gave his life to explore Africa for the sake of getting the gospel there. And it was a difficult task. 
and he said to some students at Cambridge about leaving these benefits of England. This is what he says. This is a man who, who gave his life to help the spread of the gospel. He says, for my own part, I've never ceased to rejoice, rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically, he says, no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. And then he says, I never made a sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. We would look at him and say he made countless sacrifices. But he said, but the the joy that came to me in leaving all of those things far outweighed anything that they would have ever brought. Jesus' call to self-denial, it, it, may, it may go against our, our desire for gain and, and for satisfaction. But the desire for gain and for, and for satisfaction is not fulfilled by the pleasures of the world. If we seek satisfaction in the things of the world, then we will lose ourselves, Jesus says. But if we follow Jesus through self-denial, then we will gain Christ. And we'll be satisfied beyond what we could ever imagine. So in fact, self-denial is not what satisfies us. What satisfies us? Jesus. It's in finding Christ that satisfies us. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be satisfied in Christ alone. Let's think about the second unlikely place that we find our deepest desires fulfilled. It's this, submission to death leads to life. (laughs) Submission to death actually leads to To life. That's the next thing he says, right? You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily. Now, the desire to live is deep in our souls, isn't it? I mean, we'll do anything to survive. Life is is precious. We long to preserve our lives as long as we possibly can. I read a story about these guys trekking on Everest, and they were in terrible conditions. But the human will to survive helps them work through terrible situations. But when Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily, what's he calling us to do? He's calling us to die. But we use this phrase, that's my cross to bear, for things that are that are useless, that are fruitless. You know, people say that my morning commute is my cross to bear. Or, you know, I live in a town where I can't get a decent cup of coffee, it's just my cross to bear. I mean, those are not crosses to bear. When Jesus talks about taking up our cross daily, he's telling us to follow him down a path of obedience to God that is willing to give up even what we hold most precious. We're willing to follow Jesus all the way to the point of death itself. This is a call to death. It's self-denial, yes, but it goes beyond that as well. It's, it's, It's living every day with a willingness to place the glory of God and the spread of the gospel and God's will and plan for my life, His agenda, above my even desire for self-preservation, my desire to to live. We don't know as much about this as, as our brothers and sisters in other countries, or even as much as the disciples did. The disciples knew that if, if Jesus is going to face death, then it's probably likely that we will too. I mean, he's the leader, and if we are following him, 
If he's saying he's going to die, there's the possibility that we will. And in fact, all of them did, except for John, faced a, a martyr's death. And we don't fully understand this in the United States, but there are dangers that we are exposed to in serving Christ. There, there, we may face people that are so hostile to Christ that they would want to physically harm us. There are, we may involve ourselves in ministry in places where death is actually a, a reality. So, so how does Jesus encourage us to willingly die? If we, I mean, we all want to live, right? Everybody wants to, to stay alive. Let's survive. And Jesus says, actually, what I want you to do is embrace death. How does he get us to do that? He does it by revealing that it's only in a willingness to die for Christ that we will ever truly live. That's verse 24, isn't it? For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So he says, if if you hold on to your life with just this unyielding grip, you you do everything in your power to not die, to, to preserve your life. You're just gonna sit in your house and, and, and I'm gonna I'm going to survive. If that's how we live our lives, then we will lose them. But if in fact we, we give our lives in willing service to God, even to the point of death, we will save our lives. Submission to death leads to life. Andrew and I went this week to see a play called Our Town. And um, it was great. It was nice to get out of the house. And the last act of this play tackles this idea of, of death. And it fills the whole stage with, with just despair. But with people that long for the life that they once lived. They look back with such, their hearts are breaking because they want to go back to that Life and, and it has this helpful message of, of kind of embracing every moment that you don't realize what, what you're experiencing until, until it's gone. The, the, in death, they look back and they say, oh, I missed it all. And that's a helpful message. But as I reflected on it, I thought, well, that's not the Christian experience. The Christian experience in death is, wow, that was nothing compared to the glories that are to be revealed. That in fact, death leads to even greater life. We don't, if we, if we live for this life only, then we will never be satisfied. We will never truly have life. But if we're willing to die, to lay our lives down for Christ, then we will know what it is to truly live. We have this deep desire to live, to preserve our lives at all costs, but the desire for life is not fulfilled by seeking to preserve our lives, but rather if we follow Jesus and we submit to death, then we will find true life. Let's think about the last Unlikely place. Rejection by others means acceptance by God. Rejection by others means acceptance by God. I mean, we all want to be accepted by others, right? That's a desire that starts very young, exists all through life, and it, it's, it reaches its height, I think, in high school. <laughs> the desire to be accepted by others, to be liked, but but it continues through life. And, 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 and it's okay to want to be liked, but this desire can become an idol in our life. It becomes this God that we sacrifice to, and we'll do whatever it takes. I'll do anything for people to like me. But to follow Jesus as a disciple is to take his words on our lips and to invite the rejection of the world. When it says here, follow me, the disciples understand that following Jesus is to is to walk with a guy who is rejected by all the authorities of his day. And to walk behind Jesus was to 
to walk away from the acceptance of the, of the popular and the powerful people of that day. But the, the reality is that, that um, even today, these, the words of Jesus and following Jesus, it's not something that's welcomed or really celebrated in our society, is it? I mean, are Christians viewed as, as popular and put on TV all the time? I mean, we're kind of viewed as outcasts in society, even amongst our friends. I think for some people, this is the hardest call to discipleship. You're fine with self-denial and, and death, but people don't like me. <laughs> I don't know if I like that idea of being rejected by others. So how does Jesus encourage us to embrace this? Verse 26 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That's deep. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So if we are ashamed of Jesus and his words, it says here, then he will be ashamed of us. We, we may be accepted by the world. We may find the acceptance that we're longing for by the world. We may be seen as progressive and popular. But in the last day, God will be ashamed of us. God will reject us. God will throw us out of his presence. But the beautiful thing is that the opposite is true. That if we value being accepted by God above all else, if we will stand up and say, I'm a, a follower of Jesus, if we will take his words on our lips and say, I believe the words of Jesus, then we might be rejected by the world. But he says we will be accepted by God. The Father will stand up and welcome us, welcome us into his, his presence. To embrace the rejection of others, it goes against this desire that we have for acceptance by all people. But the, that desire for acceptance means absolutely nothing. If we are rejected by God, if we follow Jesus on this path of rejection, we will be accepted by God. Now I want to be as clear as Jesus is here. There is no option number two. There is no second path to walk down. There aren't converts to Christianity and disciples of Jesus. So in other words, you, you, can't, you can't pray a prayer and be added to the kingdom and have no intention of ever walking down this path of discipleship. That's not what a disciple of Jesus is. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not simply liking Jesus on Facebook. It's not something you can just click and do. It's not coming to church, right? This doesn't save you. There are not people who are disciples but choose another path rather than self-denial and death and rejection by the world. So to follow Jesus is to follow him on this path of death and rejection and suffering. So let's be clear. If you're, if you're going to proclaim, I'm a follower of Jesus, this is the path. And if we don't follow this path, then, then, then we are followers of Jesus in name only. We may carry the name of Christ when it's convenient, but we're not committed to this call of true discipleship. This is what it takes to follow Jesus. We need this reminder, I'm telling you, we need, I need this reminder, that the path of discipleship is one of difficulty. It's one of suffering. It's one of pain. And it's one of the greatest joy and satisfaction that we could ever find. 
It's to know the satisfaction that our souls long for when we walk down this path. It's to see the lies of the world and to know that life is actually found in death. When we follow Jesus, we find our deepest desires are fulfilled in the strangest places. We find satisfaction and gain in self-denial. We find life by submitting to death. We find acceptance by God through being rejected by the world. We find Jesus. Because only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. And so we need to repent. We need to repent of seeking satisfaction in anything but Christ. And we need to run down this path, this pain-filled path of discipleship. It's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. But it's only on that path that we will find true and everlasting and lasting joy. Only in Jesus can we be saved from ourselves and from this world and from sin. Only in Jesus can we know the forgiveness of our sins and be given the righteousness that we need. And in the midst of all this difficulty, I think that there's there's this promise. Jesus says, remember what Jesus says, this is my path. I'm going to suffer, I will be rejected, I will be killed, and then what? I'll be raised again on the third day. It's almost like an afterthought. I almost feel like that's what verse 27 is. So you're going to have to deny yourself, Take up your cross and follow me. But I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? (laughs) This is a verse that that is debated as to what exactly it means. I always took it to mean a reference to the transfiguration, which is the next passage, that they saw the glory of the kingdom in Jesus. Um, It could mean, Matt and I talked a little bit this week, it could mean what John saw in Revelation, the coming of the kingdom. Some are standing here. Some of you will actually see what the kingdom is going to look like when it comes in power, when Jesus returns. Let me tell you what I think Jesus is saying here. I think Jesus is encouraging the disciples. Remember what their understanding of of the kingdom was? It's going to be Jesus coming and reigning fully and and, and bringing his his rule on earth. And and then he says, but actually what, what it's going to be is suffering and pain and death and rejection. But he says, I think he just, he says, but you know what, guys? It's going to be hard but you will see the kingdom of God. You're going to see it. I think they were seeing it. Jesus says, if if I cast out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Did Jesus cast out demons by by the finger of God? He did. The kingdom was there. They were seeing the power of the kingdom in Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 2, what happens? He tells them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit comes in tongues of fire. They see the kingdom of God. They watch as thousands of people repent and come to faith in Christ. They watch as the gospel spreads across nations. They are they saw the kingdom of God. And, and there's a sense in which we see the kingdom of God. Yes, it's pain and it's and it's suffering, but there is joy in that we we see it. It's not here fully. There, there will be a day when we do see it fully, and yet there's a sense in which right now. Before we taste death, we catch these glimpses of what the kingdom is looking like. I pray that that's what our church is, that it's a glimpse of what the kingdom is, of the power of the kingdom to, to save the lost and to, and to bring people together and to, and to even, even to see the miracles of what Jesus did done as, as we pray for one another. I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I think that that's that resurrection power that Jesus, even though he, he faces suffering, rejection, and death, he will rise again. And even though we face self-denial, and, and, and we face dying daily, as Paul said, and, and we face being rejected by others, 
We see the kingdom of God. We see the power of God. And that, that's an encouragement, I think. So, so the question then that we asked is, do you want to follow Jesus? He says here, if anyone would come after me, that's a big if. Are, are you going to come after him? Do you want to follow him? He's very clear about what the path is. It's a path of self-denial. It's a path of, of rejection. It's a path of death. But he encourages us too, doesn't he? It's a path of gain. Where we gain what we are seeking. It's a path of satisfaction. It's a path of life. It's a path of acceptance by God. It's a, it's a path of, of joy. It's a path of seeing the power of the kingdom even in this age. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus doesn't call us to go down a path that he's not willing to go down. He doesn't stand at the trailhead and say, that's where you got to go, down this path of pain and suffering. No, he stands at the end of the path and he says, come to me. This is where I've gone. It reminds me so much of, if you remember when Matt preached on, on, on Hebrews chapter 13. What does Jesus say? In the book of Hebrews, he says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. This, this doesn't last. If we think we're going to be satisfied with this, it's, it's all fading away. But we're seeking a city that is to come. That's how we die. That's how we face self-denial and, and rejection by others. Because Jesus is there and he's calling to us. He says, come to me. I've gone through this and I've come out on the other side victorious over death and sin and hell. Amen. Do, do you want to follow Jesus? This is the path. It's a path of pain and suffering and heartache and tears and joy and satisfaction and happiness beyond anything you could ever imagine. Count the cost. He's very clear. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But if we would lose our lives, we will find it. And if, and if we will forget the world, we will gain everything. And if we're not ashamed of Jesus, then he will not be ashamed of us. Do you want to follow Jesus? Let's take our moment of silence now. And I'll close this in prayer in a moment. Father, I pray that um, I pray against the thought that doing these things earns salvation, but rather that it is the overflow of a heart that's truly been changed, filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, there is no way that we will do this apart from you. But if you have saved us, then we will run down this path of pain and of satisfaction. Father, change our our minds and our hearts. We're we're so in love with the world. We're so in love with ourselves. We're so in love with our own glory. And we think that those things are going to make us happy. We pray that you would wean us from ourselves and from the world and help us to, to find that Christ is the greatest satisfaction of our lives, that only in him will we ever be satisfied. Lord, I pray if there's any here that are, that are just, that they're, they're finding, they just keep coming up empty. On the things of this world, whether they're a Christian or not, they, they're just in a cycle of, of not being satisfied. But that, that you would help them to see that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and godliness. In Jesus, 
Lord, all our desires are fulfilled. Lord, make us disciples. I pray that you would forgive us for the many times that we have wandered away. We've, we've looked for satisfaction somewhere else when you're standing in front of us saying, come to me, come to me. So Lord, we, we come to you afresh and anew. We follow you down this path. Thank you for blazing the trail for us. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for rising again for our justification. Lord, thank you for living the life we could not so that we could be your children. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.